Okay, guys, we're in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. Now, again, I told you we're in that second section of Acts where, remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said you would receive power and you would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and then to the othermost parts of the world. Remember I told you that? Okay. And so we're in that second section right now where he is, uh, the church is a witness to uh, Christ, not just in Jerusalem now, but we've also seen now in Samaria, which is what we looked at this week. Today we're going to be in the area of Judea, okay? We're going to be in the area of Judea. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a story that a lot of you are probably very familiar with if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school. Okay, if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school. So we're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch today. All right, so let's look at verse 26. Uh, we'll start off there. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. All right, so let's stop for a moment. An angel commanded Philip to travel south along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. All right, so from Jerusalem. Now, does everybody know today Gaza is still the same place today as it is today? Everybody know where Gaza is? It's in southern, what we would call southern Palestine, southern Israel, okay? Gaza is right, that section that's in southern, right along the uh, Mediterranean Sea, all right? So... The, an angel of the Lord commands Philip, we already saw Philip last time we looked at this when he was ministering to the Samaritans, he commands Philip to go on that road from Jerusalem to the south down to Gaza. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I need you to recognize that there's something here you need to make note of. Notice now verse 26 says, an angel of the Lord. There, there's, there's a little two-letter word there that's pretty significant that you need to grasp. And it's the word and. And. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because it doesn't say the angel of the Lord. Okay? It's talking about an angel. So I don't want you thinking when you read this, this is the same as the angel of the Lord that we see in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is the presence of God in the person of the pre-incarnate Christ. Because whenever someone sees the angel of the Lord, they fall down and say they've seen God. All right, That's the, the angel of the Lord. When we're looking here in verse 26, it's an angel. So this is just an angel. An angel comes, tells Philip, go to the road, between Jerusalem and Gaza, okay? Now, the area along the road to Gaza was desert. So this is a desert area. So if you were to go there today, it's still the same. It's a very arid area, okay? Very arid area. Now we're going to look at verse 27 and 28, and we're going to be introduced to the Ethiopian eunuch, Okay? Look with me at verse 27. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of, the, of great authority 
under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Okay, so let's, let's talk about who this guy is. First of all, the eunuch was, a, was an Ethiopian treasurer from the court of Queen Candace. So this guy is a high official from the court of Candace. Now let me just also tell you, if you want to write this down as a side note in your notes, he's a Jew. Do you understand? He's a Jew. How do you know that, George? Well, he's coming to Jerusalem to worship. He also has a copy of the prophet. So he's not just a Gentile. Are there Jews in Ethiopia? Yes, there are Jews in Ethiopia. In fact, how many of you remember, okay, if you're older here, you'll remember this. How many remember, it's probably been two or three decades ago that the, that the Israeli government launched a, probably I think it was the early 80s, launched a, an, a secretive mission in which they transported Jews out of Ethiopia to return them back to Israel. Do you, do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember that? Okay, why? Because there was and has been for several centuries an, Eth- an Ethiopian Jewish community. Okay, let me just stop a little bit further so you understand. This Jewish community is pretty significant, although it, they're pretty much most of them now are back in Israel. Okay, what they believe is, is that, okay, when you come to the time of Manassas in the Old Testament. You don't read any more about the Ark of the Covenant, do you? Ever, 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 after the point of Manassas and Kings, do you read about the Ark anymore in the, in, in, in the Old Testament? No, you don't anymore. It disappeared. You, it wasn't taken by the Assyrians. It wasn't taken by the Babylonians. Okay, History tells us that when one of the Romans who was fighting against uh, Julius Caesar came to Palestine, he took uh, Jerusalem, and he went into the temple to see what was behind the veil. And he walked behind the veil to the, to the horror of the, of the Jewish priests. But when he walked back there, he found an empty room, and he came out and said, the Jews are mad. They worship nothing. Simply because there was no ark there. The, the legends... And the stories are, is that there was a group of Jews who during one of the invasions around the time of Manassas, if you remember, Manassas was taken captive at one point, took the Ark of the Covenant, took it to Egypt, followed it along the Nile, up the Blue Nile into Ethiopia. And to this day, there is a village in Ethiopia right now that is heavily guarded where they believe that the Ark of the Covenant is. Okay, that they believe the Ark of the Covenant, and there is, quote, a caretaker, one caretaker who, who can observe it, and it's supposedly there. That's significant, isn't it? Why? Well, we know there's going to be a temple in the future. Do you understand? Do you think people, you think the Jews today know where their, their Ark is? Probably, okay. So there's a Jewish community. So why did I bring that all up? When we talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, I want you to understand he's probably a Jew. 
Is it possible for a Jew to be serving in the kingdom service of a foreign king? Is it possible? Yeah, how do we know that? There's a whole book by a guy who did that. Daniel, okay? Who also was a what? Eunuch. Now let's just stop for a moment. I think it's pretty interesting. To serve in the service of a king back then was pretty hard on a guy. Just being honest with you. Because most of the civil servants who served the king were eunuchs. They were made eunuchs. They emasculated them. Why? Probably something to do with trying to control them, making sure that they, maybe they thought that if you weren't emasculated, you had aggressive hormone tendencies and wanted to take over or something. And so they would do that. It was typical back then for a servant, high official in a king's court, to be a eunuch, okay? So this guy's a eunuch of, who is was the Ethiopian treasurer to Candace. Let's go on. This eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and he was returning home. So he had gone up to Jerusalem for probably one of the feasts. All right? He had probably gone up to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, and he was returning home. All right? So that's the setting. Here's what he was doing. So he, you know, I guess it's kind of hot riding along in a chariot. So he has a rest stop. So the eunuch was sitting in his chariot along the road reading the book of Isaiah. All right, I want you to stop for a moment. Was this guy alone? Do you think this guy was alone? Usually when you read the story in Sunday school, children's Sunday school, you, you almost get the impression that the Ethiopian eunuch was alone, right? And Philip just came upon him, and, you know, every, every Sunday school I've seen, flannel art, remember flannel, flannel grams, okay? All right? That was the technological advancement of the church right there, flannel graphs, okay? All right, so listen. Do you think he was alone? No, because the text is going to tell us he wasn't, okay? Probably Philip comes to his group because he's a high official. He's the treasurer. Do you think he's got bodyguards? Did you know what I'm saying? If he's traveling and he's the treasurer for a kingdom, do you think that he's got somebody protecting him? Probably. Okay, so he's probably not alone, okay? Probably not alone. But they're having a rest stop, and he's sitting reading the book of Isaiah, okay? Now, let's look at Philip's witness. Look with me at verse 29 through 37. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering Messiah. So the eunuch answered Philip and said to him, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this? Of himself 
or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And so as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe in all your heart, you may. And and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Okay, let's, let's take a look here. First of all, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go near and overtake the chariot. The Holy Spirit tells Philip to go near and overtake the chariot. All right? So the Holy Spirit's telling him. He's guiding him. So Philip asked the eunuch if he understands what he's reading. So he can see this guy's reading. So he says, what are you reading? Okay? The eunuch replies that he cannot unless he, there is someone to help him. So the eunuch is saying, I can't understand unless I've got somebody to guide me. Hey, I'm the guy. I'm the one who will help you. Okay? So the scripture passage was from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. The scripture passage that's quoted here is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. I would encourage you to read that on your own. It's a very graphic passage of scripture that was written 700 years before Jesus was crucified. And when you read that passage, you can't help but be amazed at the detail that lists the suffering that Jesus Christ went through. And that was 700 years before it would happen. Okay, The passage concerned the suffering Messiah. So here's the question the eunuch has. So the eunuch's raising this question. He asked, who's the passage speaking about? That's a natural question. When you read this, who's the, the servant? The, it's talking about the suffering servant. Is the suffering servant the prophet who's speaking, meaning Isaiah? Or is he talking about somebody else? If you don't have an understanding of Jesus and what Jesus went through, you would read that and say, boy, who is this talking about that this guy's talking about here? Okay? Who's this talking about? Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. The concept of a suffering Messiah, the Jews did not understand that at all. So before Jesus would suffer and die, remember his disciples wanted him to prevent him from dying and so forth? Because that wasn't in their concept. So this Ethiopian eunuch is not having a concept in his mind that this is the Messiah. Okay? He's not, because he doesn't understand that. It's only the Christian who understands it because we understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Do you understand? Okay? So here we go. So Philip started with this passage to preach Jesus Christ to the eunuch. All right, this is, this is a good point here. I think this is a good point for us to stop from him because there's something we can learn from this. How many of you have opportunities every once in a while to uh, maybe share the gospel with somebody? Okay, where do you start? Okay, you start in the New Testament, okay. All right, where do you start? It's a simple answer. Okay. Yeah, you guys are reading into it too much. Okay. 
because I'm a simplistic guy and I present it simplistically. Okay, so let me give you the simple answer. Okay, here's where you start. Right where they're at. You start right where they're at with what they know. See, he starts with right where this guy's at. Where's this guy at? He's reading Isaiah. He doesn't understand the passage. Can you help me to understand? Hey, here's what it means. And this is about Jesus. And he goes on and shares about Jesus. See, this is what you need to understand. It doesn't need to be complicated. You don't need to have some kind of trained method in your mind. Although trained methods are good, it helps you to understand the gospel. But you could start right where you're at. So if you're talking to somebody and they raise an issue and it has a spiritual bent to it, you can start right at that place where they're at and share the gospel with them. You know, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In my first church, we had, Canadians are a little bit more social than you guys. Sorry, but they are. They're a little bit more social. You guys are social with your clans and your family, and you like to do things with family, okay? But as far as doing other things, you're not there, okay? Canadians are. I'm just being honest with you. People from Ontario, they are real social. They like to get together, and one of the things that they love when they get together is just having food, okay? So if you do something with food, you got people showing up, all right? So one of the things that we did was is we had a monthly men's breakfast at a local restaurant for no purpose than just to get together and chew the fat, to, chew the bacon together, okay? I guess that is fat, okay? So, you know, so we would get together and, and we would just talk, and we'd talk about sports, which for those guys, they're always talking about hockey. So they would talk about hockey, never talked about football, you know, and, and just talk about the different things. And I'm sitting across, that, that time we had breakfast, we're, on a mili- we're outside of a military base, Base Borden, and our breakfast was at a restaurant on Base Borden. So we're there, and one of the deacons in our church was a French-Canadian who was a corporal, Okay. Now you got to understand their their rank structure is different. You can be a corporal for twenty years in the in the Canadian military. Okay, so he had another corporal with him, and so we're sitting across, we're making small talk, and then this guy comes out of nowhere and says, "You know, yeah, I'm a Star Trek guy. I'm a Trekkie. Oh wow, that's cool. I like Star Trek too. Yeah, and I think it's a great testimony of what we're going to do as humanity." We're going to better ourselves. I mean, he just starts right there. We're going to better ourselves. We're going to get to the place like you see in Star Trek. So he knows I'm a pastor, okay? So I said to him, I disagree with you. I disagree with you. I, I don't, I don't, that's not true at all. What do you mean? Now, he expected me to immediately launch into him about the Bible. I didn't use the Bible. I said to him, history shows us that that's not true. What do you mean? I said, why don't we take Germany at the beginning of the 20th century, before the First World War? They were at the height of enlightenment. They were the epitome of modern thinking at the time. German scholars were at the height of everything. And so here's this this culture that is at the height of intellectual thinking. And it produces two world wars. And then the second world war produces the annihilation of six or seven million people, not to mention how many others died in the war. And I said, that's all a result of heightened intellectualism? I said, 
I don't believe that men are getting better. I said, I believe men are getting worse. They're becoming more depraved. So you start where they're at. So then he looked at my, he, you know, we're going on. He goes, he said, I thought he was going to bring the Bible. I didn't need to bring the Bible. You can present Bible principles right where they're at. Now, if the discussion goes further, now I bring the Bible. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? You start where they're at. Do you understand? So many times what we share with people, we want to impose on them, and they're not even thinking about that. You need to start where they're at. And that's why sometimes it takes um, many touches. Do you guys remember the Christian song was just maybe five or six years ago about how many times a person was touched with the gospel, and maybe I'm the fifth touch or the sixth touch? I forget the name of the song. But maybe you're, you're the person who sows and waters. Do you, do you understand? And one day somebody reaps. But you start where they're at. So he starts where this guy's at. I don't understand this passage in Isaiah. So he takes him and explains to him who Jesus is. Do you understand? That he's the one who suffers. You start where they're at. Do you understand? That will relieve you when you're sharing the gospel, does it? You just start where people are at. Here, I'll bet just stop. The most common thing you're going to face is this. I'm really going through a hard time right now. This is happening. I've got this family member who's sick. My marriage is falling apart. What do I do? Great place to start. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And that's where you start. I'm just being honest. It's not that complicated. We make it into this big complicated, we got to do a Billy Graham, walk the aisle, be baptized evangelism thing. Do you understand? That's not it at all. You start where they're at. This is what Philip's doing here. He starts. He started with the passage to preach Jesus Christ to the eunuch. Let's go on. The eunuch asked Philip if there's anything that's hindering him from being baptized. What hinders me from being baptized? So obviously in his presentation of the gospel, he probably shared with him that Jesus said that if you are a follower, that you should be baptized. So the guy says... What do I need to do to be baptized? So Philip states that the eunuch must believe with all of his heart. See, that's what salvation is. It's believing with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is who he is. Okay? So the, so the eunuch confesses that he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, which is where we, the last verse we read, Philip baptizes the eunuch in the water that was nearby. So they stopped. Now notice he said he commanded the chariot to stop. Folks, it's not an autopilot chariot. Okay? So he's not saying, yo, horses, stop. Okay? He's probably got a driver. So remember I told you, he's not alone. Okay? So Philip baptizes the eunuch in the water nearby. Now, let's look at verse 39 through 40, and we're going to see his departure. Now, when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in 
Artus, Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, so let's start right there. First of all, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away immediately. Now, okay, so let me just, let's just stop for your information. What does that mean, George? The Spirit of the Lord uh, caught him away, okay? Well, um, I'll just give you the viewpoints that are out there. I take the very simple viewpoint that just as he was led by the Spirit to come there, the Spirit said, okay, I want you to head north, all right? That's one viewpoint. That's the viewpoint George holds, okay? There is the viewpoint that said, literally, God grabbed them by the hair and drug them somewhere else, okay? Uh, the reason why they do that is because that happened in Ezekiel with the prophet, okay? So God took him and took him in Boom, one minute he's in Gaza, the next minute he's up in northern uh, Judea. Do you understand what I'm saying? So however you want to interpret it, I would simply say just take it as what the text is saying. The context of the passage is he was led by the Spirit to go down there. The Spirit now led him to go somewhere else. Okay? All right? So just take it that way. All right? So the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away immediately. Now, here's what I want you to see. Again, this is that fulfillment of that second part of what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. Philip preached the gospel in the cities until he came to Caesarea in the north. So throughout Judea, we see one, and I'm sure there were others besides Philip, but this is the one that's listed for us, is preaching the gospel throughout the cities and towns and villages in Judea, he's preaching the gospel, okay? All right, now, when we look at our lesson again, we're going to look at a guy named Saul, all right? A guy named Saul. That's a major transition mark in our book. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 the next time. 